0: Welcome back to the 42nd edition of Living a Whole Christian Life. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and I'm so excited today because we are entering into the final dimension, the final room of this Christian home that we have been building for almost a year. And so we're going to begin today on the psychological dimension, and we're certainly going to spend some time in this area and focus on what it truly means to live psychologically as God designs. You know, it's interesting to think about, for me, decades ago when I began the search of holiness with the WH, the Unified Pursuit of Health, Harmony, Happiness in Heaven, I think in many ways my considerations probably began with the psychological dimension. And I was actually just finishing graduate school. I graduated from St. Louis University in 2005 and was beginning my you know, fellowship and my first position ultimately at Cardinal Glennon. And it was during that time I think I really started to consider You know, how does psychology overlay with the spiritual world? Again, as Pierre Chardin said, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience. And I think, you know, through all the training I went through, I started to sense that what I was learning was just kind of a piece of the puzzle, that it wasn't as connected as it should be. And so this whole search for decades through the idea of holiness, that living the whole Christian life in many ways for me, began in the world of psychology. And of course, as today, you know, I'm a child psychologist and have been working in the field for um, upwards of 17 years. And, you know, as a father of eight, it's often very humbling being a child psychologist and a father of eight, because all the advice and all the ideas that you put forth, you have to kind of consider yourself, how well are they working in your own home. So as we begin this psychological dimension, as we begin this final dimension en route to the completion of our Christian home, I'm going to begin with a story of the CCC. And this is actually the, a story that began when I was two years old, and the CCC stands for the Can Collectors Club. And my father at that time decided, and you have to know my father a little bit, and for those of you who do, I think you know him full well in this way, that he was trying to figure out at that time... How could a social worker and a part-time Catholic school teacher, which is what my mother was as a, as a kindergarten teacher on her way to a full-time position later on, how could they make money for their children to go to college, and how could we begin this early? And so what it set out was this idea, and, you know, I look back and I'm kind of amazed uh, at my dad, and he certainly has his eccentricities and um, obsessions, as we'll talk about a little bit later, but I was amazed that he thought, you know, if I could get a lot of people to turn in their cans, their aluminum cans to me, and I could convince them that, look, we'll make it into a contest, is what he did, and we will have even a can fiscal year, which remains in effect to this day. I think it's the end of August, but I should know that. Then I'll, not only I'll make it into a contest, but we'll have a fun party every year. We'll do some silly stuff, and you know, we'll have egg toss and balloon toss, and we'll have a speech where I, as the director, will stand sometimes on top of a ladder, and even dressed in a can and deliver a speech where the people listening are not really listening because often they would bring their own newspapers and even do things like drop eggs out of the top floor of our home onto his head, if I can get people really engaged in this idea, right, engaged in recycling, but recycling for a purpose, I think maybe I could actually raise some money over the course of these years and these decades to help with college, and so that's actually what he set out to do. Again, when I was two years old, he set out with this idea. And it started very small, probably with a few family and friends, and gradually grew over time. And I can say that 40 years later, actually not 40 years, but 40 plus, I think we're on our 43rd year. The Cannes Collectors Club is still going strong. And, you know, for years and years, this money actually went did go to our college fund and, and helped my parents kind of give us a certain amount of money every year. But after my sister graduated college, that money moved over to uh, missions in Haiti, and it's been a really neat thing. Then, and actually, I think it's grown <laughs> now that people know they're not giving you know money to the Schraders only, and they realize they're giving it to you know maybe a better cause. Of course, down in Haiti, it has grown, and millions of cans later. Every year, money goes down to support. I think one particular, but sometimes a couple particular missions in Haiti. And so, the CCC for me early on always had this, you know, idea. And I even had friends in college. Um, My roommate won the contest one year. I mean, we had, you know, there was a lifetime membership that came with ten thousand cans collected for a year. All sorts of things going on. And if you step back, in fact, my dad ended up one day after. A local affiliate ran a story on him. He ended up at CNN.com, which you might still be able to find. The title says, Man Collects Cans Since Four to College. The thing about my dad, I have to give him credit in a lot of ways, beyond even the creativity, which we're not going to talk about as much as part of the C today. But, you know, he was ever conscious of his goals. And that, that consciousness we're going to get into as it relates to the psychological dimension his arguments, although in many ways people thought they were crazy, like there's no way this is going to work out and this idea is going to go you know, nowhere, they, after decades and decades, have proved to be coherent. They've proved to be based on a logical idea that has worked and continues to work. And in the third way, and again, we're going to, like I said, talk about consciousness, coherence. These have always been conscientious, right? His idea behind this was initially to help us and our family with college, but has gone much further now for thousands and thousands of dollars to go down to those who really, really need it in Haiti. And so he's always been conscientious of others' needs through this. So if we think of these three C's, right, what began as the Can Collectors Club, but what we're going to talk about today is consciousness, coherence, and conscientiousness. They really are the beginning of this idea of the psychological dimension, as God pertains in his design, right? And I think one of the keys and one of the misnomers we're going to get rid of right off the bat is that being psychologically healthy is not first and foremost the absence of impairing, distressing, or abnormal symptoms any more than summer is defined by the absence of ice, snow, and cold, right? To be psychologically healthy, to pursue health in this domain as God designs is not the absence of something, but rather the increased possession and the increased uh, pursuit of something that God really ordains in us, but it's often hard to find. And so I'm going to talk about these um, three terms, because these are really, really key as we go through this. And I first want to just define them according to these three C's. So consciousness is not just a dynamic awareness of our thoughts and feelings, but it's an acute understanding and concern of our circumstances, both now and at other times. Put more simply, it's a person's ability to take in their situation fully in order to best determine their next course of action. Coherence is a state of being logical, consistent, and congruent with what exists around us. Notice that term congruent shows up again. We talked a lot about that idea of congruence um, in the social dimension. But coherence really is that state of being, you know, you're logical, you're consistent. It's congruent with what exists around us. In many ways, coherence is very similar to the idea of the idea of seeking truth, right? For what it is. You know, it doesn't disregard our emotional state, but it mandates that the arguments we make be based on reasonable facts, ideas, and or beliefs. And finally, conscientiousness signifies that what we do is right and just, and that our actions are principled as it pertains to other people, and even ultimately the universal principles that God puts forth. It really serves as our link to others, and that we consider how they're affected by our behaviors. So I really want to use those three C's because oftentimes I think the landscape of mental health is so confusing for lots of people. And if you look right now, the DSM that we're using, which is the Diagnostic of Statistical Manual in its fifth edition, has upwards of almost a thousand pages pages. And you know, it's even complicated for someone like myself who is a psychologist and uses this. And so people can get really lost in all sorts of details and all sorts of ideas and, and misnomers. But I think if we bring come back to this idea that what is psychologically healthy, again, must be at some level conscious and coherent and conscientious, right? And so consider this idea that let's we could take any diagnosed mental health condition. And you're going to find these three factors at play. Let's take depression, for example. What happens with depression is that we very often become less aware and conscious of what is good happening around us and and just anything in general that's really happening awareness. We become less conscious of that. Um, Our awareness is decreased and we're just unable to see things as clearly as we really need to, as we really desire, right? With depression, coherence, that's that second variable, in many ways, again, decreases because we're less logical. We're much more driven by our emotional state. Even many times, I mean, when we felt depressed, we could name all sorts of things going on around us that are really good or even with us. But, you know, with coherence being decreased here, we're not really thinking in that way. We're not really thinking about the reality of many gifts and you know blessings in our lives we're often just very driven by how we feel, that sense of despair, right? That emotional state. And at the third level, again, that sense of conscientiousness, what happens with depression is that we become increasingly self-focused, increasingly self-absorbed. We're able to, less able to meet others' needs because of it. You know, it's not something that we really desire, but the reality is that that conscientiousness in us decreases the more we become depressed. And so I could literally go through, you know, any condition in the DSM and any condition just in general that relates to psychology, and we would find these three C's at play. So in the same vein, though, while we talk about this idea of how they pertain to, you know, mental health states that we consider to be unhealthy, we also have to consider about why certain, and we've already talked about actually all of these at some point, why certain interventions can really be effective and how this, again, relates to those three Cs. So let's consider exercise. We have talked before, this is the beauty of it, that movement and activity can really improve depression, which is really great, right? Again, we don't have to just seek out psychological means to improve something like depression. We have physical means that God gives us. And why is that the case? Well, in some ways, and this is still somewhat mysterious, even from a scientific standpoint, exercise improves natural mood right it elevates our mood but it does so in some ways by improving an acute awareness of what's going on around us and there's actually just a kind of a clarity of mind and increased consciousness when we exercise of what's occurring and so here it is that we come to understand this that exercise itself again improves that conscious that conscious awareness the second thing is that cognitive behavioral therapy takes, again, this is actually around the idea of coherence, it takes irrational beliefs and makes them much more again coherent, right? Much more logical, much more, I think, palatable. So let's say we have the belief that everybody hates me, and that's part of kind of our sense of feeling depressed. What happens with cognitive behavioral therapy is it literally reframes that idea and says, well, look, some people might have an issue with me or may not get along well with me, But not everybody hates me. In fact, I can name off a number of different people who logically really care for me, really love me a lot. And so we take what was an absolute, but not based in logic, and we reframe it in a way that becomes much more coherent. And the third variable, conscientiousness, well, let's think about how volunteering works. We've talked about this in the past. With volunteering, we take, again, our self-absorption and we move it over into another situation. This idea that other people struggle too. Other people have difficult times. You know, other people go through things that are challenging. And so not only we become more aware of other struggles, but we in many ways utilize the energy that we had that wasn't being used well, and we work to help others in the process. So there you go. It's really interesting to think about, you know, exercise and cognitive behavioral therapy, and volunteering all work with those variables of you know this sense of consciousness coherence and conscientiousness so as we get into the final piece of this what i really want to kind of point out about this idea though is that all of us are going to experience to varying degrees some level of anxiety depression unrealistic ideas unhealthy states distractiveness in our lives I just, you know, so want to step away from any of the sense of stigma or that you feel alone in this, no matter where you're at. This is just part of the human experience. And even Jesus very much felt this too throughout the ministry, throughout the ministry, you know, you hear this in the Bible. So while it's really unfortunate that some people feel stigma, although I think that this is improving these days, and that's certainly one of the great things, um, one of the better trends of our world is that people are realizing, hey, look, I mean, we're all going to feel this, right? Like, this is going to happen. It's not worth burying your head and and hiding from others. But let's be real about this. The reality is that we still find that certain factors like genetics or other like trauma or other life experiences can put people in an unfair position more than others, right? can make it more difficult for others to deal with the psychological world. So this is also where it's really important. And I think this, God says this. In fact, I even heard this today in a homily. Don't compare yourself to other people and how they're doing because they don't have the same life experiences that you do. They might seemingly be able to handle anxiety much better, but they may not have experienced the level of trauma and the level of early, just even abuse or whatever was going in the home, or they may not have some of the genetic preloading that occurs. What's most important is to say, this is where I'm at, right? This is where I am, and what ways can we go about to improve? And so the old, ultimate goal of this whole discussion on the psychological dimension side, as God designs, is to three things. One is the importance of acknowledging the state you're truly in, no matter what it is. We know one of the worst things that we can do, spiritually speaking, psychologically speaking, again, it's all part of the holiness, right? The WH. One of the worst things that we can do is deny the reality that is in front of us. Because if we deny it, there is no way we can ever seek to improve it. If we try to convince ourselves that's not real, then how do you change something that's not real? And so one one of the keys is that no matter where you're at, it's acknowledging it. I mean, it's really kind of giving it its own credence, but the second thing is, and this is where the hope begins, is recognizing the opportunities not out of obligation, again, as we've been saying this throughout the podcast, but the opportunities to improve. The key, I think, here is to go back to the idea we've kind of talked about a number of times is that some things are within our control and some things are not within our control. And that's we often get to spend so much time on the things that we can't change with regards to our psychological functioning. And we don't spend enough time on the things that we really can change. And that's a huge key here. And the third and the last key as we, we dive into this dimension is really to unite with others in solidarity around this. And the sense of using those goo factors, being genuine, showing unconditional positive regard, you know, utilizing empathy, all for the purpose of saying, look, we're all going to feel anxious. And actually, some anxiety has great purpose, right? It's, it's there for a reason. We're all going to feel down and despairing. We're all going to feel even agnostic sometimes. We're all going to have different psychological experiences that are actually very similar, but may be coming at different times or different degrees or different causes or whatever. And the reality is that when you unite in solidarity around this and you really focus on what can I do to improve my sense of consciousness in the world around me? What can I do to be more coherent in the way that I see things? And what can I do to be more conscientious of others and their plight, not just mine? That when we really unite around this, what we find is that we find the CCC leads to greater PPP, which is purpose, peace, and perseverance as God intends. And so that's where we're headed. And there's so much more to come here. And so glad you're joining us for this last peace we're into our final i think 11 or 12 podcasts the end of the year and there's some really great great things in store and so i hope you'll come along and i hope you'll just experience this with all of us and be part of not being afraid of what the psychological dimension brings but seeing again speaking of another p the promise of what it holds this is jim schrader be holy be whole